This is Chad Harrison, and you're listening to Hope Alive, applying God's word to your daily life. Hi, this is Chad Harrison, and I am the teaching pastor of Lake Community Church and have been serving as a pastor for 25 years. I'm also a practicing attorney. This podcast is designed to help you study God's word and find God's will for your life. I pray in the name of Jesus right now that God would open up his word to you and allow you to see him and to know him and to know his will, that you might glorify him and that you might walk in faith and power each and every day, especially today in Jesus' name. Good morning. Welcome to Lake Community Church's morning Bible study. We are in Genesis chapter 34. And we're going to continue on in dealing with the Dinah incident incident and uh, we're going to show exactly uh, the plot that took place the plot that was set in motion by Simeon and Dinah's brothers and the sons of Jacob and they are going to uh, they are going to handle this issue they're young they're impetuous they're angry and they are dealing with this issue not rationally not with God's character and nature in mind they are going to they are going to do many things that scripturally or just in the character and nature of God himself are out of line with his character and nature and they're not going to use this in any way to bring about peace but they're going to bring about wrath and destruction they're going to bring about a sword into their families and they're going to act in such a way as to shame not only their father but shame their whole family and the reason they're going to do that is because rather than waiting and allowing God to give them a plan, they come up with their own plan. And their own plan has to do with making themselves and making their position seem right to themselves. And so many times when we get into situations where we're dealing with conflict, we act in such a way that we destroy our family, we destroy relationships, we destroy whatever institution or whatever or whatever uh, relationship that we have with other people. We do that when we act rationally, we, when we speak rationally, and when we do not seek out God and his insight in how he is operating in the situation. Did God know that Dinah was going to go out and begin to carouse around with the Canaanite women. Yes, he did. Did he know that Shechem would be attracted to her and that they would eventually have relationships with each other? Yes, he did. And did he know that was going to bring shame and destruction on the family? Yes, it, yes, yes, he did. And did he have a plan for it? Yes, he did. Was this the plan for it? I can say this quite clearly from Scripture. Sometimes we we want to parse these things and try to figure out how the people in the Bible who we associate with were not wrong. And I can quite clearly say they were wrong. And we're going to go through it and show you how they are wrong. And the reason we're going to do that is because you can't, two wrongs don't make a right. I know that's a I know that's a cliche, but it's true. God does not exist in not God. So you can't take two not gods, which is wrong, and make God. You can't do what you shouldn't be doing and then couch it in. The other side did this. That's not how it works. Our reaction to sin is not sin. Our reaction to sin is godliness and righteousness. Now, is that easy? No. Is the answer to these issues always evident right there in front of us what we should do? 
Not necessarily. A lot of times in life, these things are very difficult. And oftentimes when you're dealing with someone, the least possible resistance is the best solution at the moment if you don't have a good solution. And what I mean by that is this, if I'm dealing with somebody, don't just punch them in the face. And I can use that actually in the actual real sense of punching them in the face or in the rhetorical sense or just in how you react doesn't always have to be aggressive toward those who maybe even truly have wronged you. And let me say this, they were truly wronged in this situation. There's no doubt about that. There's no question. Their sister, they did not go through the proper channels, not just for not just for these people, but also for the Canaanites. They didn't go through the proper channels in order to make this relationship right. They went around them, and they knew that if Shechem knew that if he had relations with Dinah, that, that Abraham would have to give him her as his wife, and he just went ahead and did what he wanted. He acted in his own flesh. Now, that means that he was worldly. He operated in the world, and when we're dealing with the world, if your expectation is the world is not going to act worldly, I mean, that's foolishness. There's no way that the world can act any other way than worldly. Because they don't have God. They don't know God. Now, is the truth of God's law and his character and nature written on their heart? Sure it is. But they've already rejected that. And until God steps in and changes it, nothing's going to change. And we can't blame the world for being worldly. So many times Christians come in, you see what happened on CNN yesterday? And, uh, and then they tell me how an unbeliever was acting unbeliebly. And I'm not even sure that's a word. But the truth is that the unbelievers are going to act like unbelievers. And if your expectation is else, you're going to be disappointed. And if your expectation is for believers to act godly all the time, you're going to be disappointed also. And I'm not saying that to make excuses, and I'm not saying that to say that we should allow that or think that's going to take place. But we, ha we should have a proper expectation of how things are in the sense of we should know how the world is. And we should know from our own experiences with ourselves that it's hard to act godly and righteously and rightly to other people. And your expectation of that from anybody else, if it's not, if it's, if you're not walking in it, it that's just wrong. How can I expect somebody else to act righteously and I'm not acting righteously? And I can promise you this, when you learn to act like God and to act righteous and to act holy and to do the things that God does and to love completely and to give grace in every situation. When you learn to do that, you don't hold people accountable to, for things that they can't, quite clearly can't do. You don't do that. Why? Because you're acting like God. God knows that we're not going to do that. Now, does he hold us accountable? And I might not have used a good word there, but he understands and he is in the business of changing things. And he's got a way to change those things. And you know that, and we, and I know. And so I should be in the business of finding that way and not in the business of trying to fix things myself. It says in verse 13, But the sons of Jacob answered Shechem, Hamar his father. Notice they're talking about whether or not they're going to give their sister to Shechem as a wife. He says, And spoke deceitfully because he had defiled Dinah their sister. Notice, they spoke deceitfully because Shechem had defiled Dinah. I, that's not that. That's not an excuse. That's not. It's not a good reason. You can't speak deceitfully because you know they're evil, or that they're wrong, or that they did something that you don't like. It's not okay 
to speak lies because someone else in some way has stumbled in sin. That it just, it just doesn't fly. And that's the best way for me to describe it for you. It just doesn't fly. That's not adequate in the excuse department. You can't just come and say, they did this, so I'm doing that. That's not how, that's not how it works, and that's not how God works. He said, and they said to, to them, they said to them, verse 14, we cannot do this thing to give our sister to one who is uncircumcised, for that would be a reproach to us. Notice, they're going to, they're going to the religious aspect of circumcision. And the whole reason for circumcision has nothing to do with the physical, the physical presence of a circumcised part. I mean, that, that is not the issue here. The issue is that they're Canaanites and they worship other gods. Now, that, that is just a pretext to get them in a vulnerable position so that they can kill them. And that's what's going to happen here. But notice, they use a religious aspect of their walk with God, and they use that as the reason why we can't do it. And so many times Christians do that. It, rather than just say, look, we worship Yahweh, the one true God, and y'all don't. And we can't intermarry with people who don't worship our God. That might have changed everything. But it did, they didn't, they're not willing to do that. They're not willing to say the hard thing because they go, they're not going to change. Every once in a while in life, we need to give God a chance. Have y'all ever noticed that? Sometimes it's a good idea to, I don't know, give God a chance. Every once in a while, it's probably a good idea to, I don't, maybe see if God's got an answer to the problem. They're mad, they're angry, and they're going to just do it their way. He says, we cannot do this thing to give our sister to one of one who is uncircumcised, for that would be a reproach to us. But on the condition that we will consent to you, if you will become as we are, if every male as you of you is circumcised, then we will give you our daughter, we'll give our daughter to you, and we will take your daughters to us, and we will dwell with you, and we'll become one people. But if you will not heed us and be circumcised, then we will take our daughters and be gone. Notice that's not the issue. The issue is not whether or not they're circumcised. And I know circumcision is a picture of your relationship with God, and it is. It's to be set apart, and it's to be different. That's the whole point of circumcision. But that's not the purpose of why they're wanting them to be circumcised. They're wanting them to be circumcised so that they'll be weak, so that they can kill them. And we know that because their actions prove it later on in this passage. Um, what they're wanting to do is they're wanting to be victorious in this situation, and they're wanting to be they want to be justified to themselves in this situation. And let me say this: if you've got to be justified in any situation as a believer, meaning if you've got to if you've got to, if your position has to be justified in the world that you live in and in who you are, if that's your if that's your goal in life is to be justified, you're, one of two things is going to happen. You're going to become very disenchanted with God and the church and the kingdom, and you're going to begin to reject it and fade away. Or you're going to become what the Pharisees were, or you're going to become a legalist. You're going to be somebody who has got to be justified in that they are doing the right thing and everybody else is wrong. And what happens is they become the nastiest version of a believer that you can find. A person who feels like they are right and everybody else is wrong. They're superior to others 
spiritually because they've justified themselves before other people. They have put themselves in a position where they are superior not only to the lost, but they're superior to the redeemed because they follow the law exactly and nobody else does. Now, what always happens is they follow their parts of the law that they like, and by doing so, they most of the time reject other parts of the law or reject other parts of the word. And the reason they reject those is because they don't fall in line with their version of the word that they feel like that they're following. And then all of a sudden, you have this ugly version of what we call Christianity or ugly version of what we call faith that really isn't faith. It's just a trust in your own righteousness and your own holiness. And let me tell you something. Faith in your own righteousness and your own holiness is really ugly. It is. It is really an ugly thing. And it doesn't change the world. It's not a light to the world. There's no hope in it. There's no purpose in it. There's no passion in it. And let me tell you something. It soils and destroys those who come in contact with it because, you know, I'm right and they were wrong and there's no middle ground on it. And if they don't follow me and do exactly the way I believe it ought to be done, then, then I'm not going to have anything to do with them. And let me tell you, that is, I've seen that, I have seen that, and you have seen it too, over and over again. Denominations head that way, certain believers head that way, people in, you've been around church people who have a righteousness that is born of their own, following the rules as they see the rules are, and boy, it begins to lead to legalism, it's pharisaicalism, it's walking around feeling like you're good with God because you have followed these sets of rules which are important to you. And boy, if you read Jesus and how he deals with the Pharisees, you see how God feels about justification on your own and following and carving out your own rules in scripture and leaving the rest behind because either you don't want to follow it or it doesn't fit in your way of looking at the world. It's ugly and it's nasty. He said, it says, verse 17, but if you will not heed us and be circumcised, then we'll take our daughters and be gone. It also leads to separation. It leads to, uh, if you're not going to be like us, then we're not going to hang out with you. And uh, boy, don't we have divisions and sectarianism in, in the church of Jesus Christ today. And let me tell you something, it comes from this type of stuff that's going on right here. Not exactly, not exactly what's going on here, but it's the things that are going on here. Uh, not opening your heart and your mind up to other believers and their walk and having to have your own form of godliness, which is a justification of yourself and your ability to follow God's law as you see it, rather than a justification that comes by faith. And it says in verse 18, and their words pleased Hamor and Shechem, Hamor's son. So the young man did not delay in doing the thing because he delighted in Jacob's daughter. Notice, he said, I'm going to do this. I'm willing to do this. I'm willing to, I'm willing to be circumcised because I want her. Now, that is proof positive right here that his actions in what he was doing was not necessarily in the sense of being, it was not deceitful or evil. He, he, had, he wanted Dinah. He wanted her to be his wife. And he went about it the wrong way. And see, when a person is trying to do the right thing the wrong way, that's not a reason to condemn them. 
That's a reason to help them. When a person is lost in their actions, but their purpose is it had, is a positive purpose, what you need to do is help them find their way in their actions to reflect the purpose they're trying to live out. And that's what's going on with him. That's what's going on in this situation. That's what's going on in this story. Is the truth is Shechem wants to he he, he wants Dinah. Now, can he have Dinah? Probably not. Maybe not. I don't know. Might he have been able to have Dinah? Maybe. I don't know. He might could have began to worship their God. He might could have been circumcised. He might could have been changed. But he went about it the wrong way because he didn't know. And maybe he, he did go around the norms of his family or the norms of somebody else's family. But the truth is that this was an opportunity to build an alliance with someone in the in in that land and to, to change the world of that person. And rather than do that, they're going to, because of their own righteousness and their own justification, they're going to, they're just going to handle it their way. And you can't start out with deceit and say God's in the middle of it. Can I say that again? Can't start out with deceit and then say God's in the middle of it. And so it says, and Hamar and Shechem, his son, came to the gates of their city and spoke with the men of their city, saying, notice they're convincing everybody. These men are at peace with us. Why? Because we've been lied to. They think that they're actually that they're actually going to have an alliance and a relationship. These men are at peace with us. Therefore, let them dwell in the land and trade in it, meaning we want them to be around us. For indeed, the land is large enough for them. Let us take their daughters to us as wives and let us give them our daughters, meaning we, we want to be family. Only on this condition will, them, will the men consent to dwell with us to be one people if every male among us is circumcised as they are circumcised. Not their livestock, their property, and every animal of theirs be ours. He says, only let us consent to them and they will dwell with us, meaning we're going to be one big happy family. And all who went out of the gates of the city heeded Hamor and Shechem his son. Every male was circumcised, all who went out of the gates of the city, of his, of his city. Notice, they wholesale bought in to the lie that, that Simeon and Levi had sold them. They wholesale bought into it. And it's going to end up in their destruction. Tomorrow on Christmas, the day before Christmas Eve, I guess is what it's called, we'll discuss what exactly happened here. But the truth is that as you're studying this and as you're going through, the, they deceive them completely. And that's why it's called the Dinah Incident. And that's why this chapter in the book of Genesis is so problematic because there's really nothing good that happens here. There's nothing godly that happens here. And it's all based off of young men who are just going to do their own way and do their own will. So what's the answer to this today? The answer to this today is to live by the Spirit and do not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. And that's quite clearly uh, what God is at work doing in this situation. He is teaching us that when we act on our own accord, when we do our own thing, when we do things outside of God's will and God's way, when we act that way, we're destructive of God's purposes. And ultimately, we hinder our own growth and our own life because we put ourselves in a position where we're acting in not God's interest, not God's kingdom, but we're acting in our own interest. And ultimately, we're destroying ourselves. So I'd say to you this morning, there are going to be opportunities in life to 
get your own interest and it's going to be at the expense of God's character. And to get, you're going to say, man, I can get this done. If I just tell this little lie, if I I just manipulate this situation, if I do this wrongly, it'll just be a little bit wrong and God will overlook it and I'll get what I want. I can tell you whatever you get from that, I can promise you this, it'll rot in your hand. And, and what you think you've gained will far be far less than what you've destroyed. And so let me encourage you today to chase after God, to do right by others. And when I say do right by others, do love to others, love other people. And that means do what is in their interest above your own. And if you do that, then God will be your promoter. God will be the one who pushes you ahead. God will be the one who makes the way for you. And you will always be rewarded. So do what is right. And doing what is right means doing it doing it the right way all the time. And when you do that, when you seek God out and do his character and nature, you are guaranteed to always have his best. As you go today, I pray that the Lord will bless you and keep you, that he'll make his face to shine upon you, and that he will give you hope and peace today in Jesus' name.